Welcome to episode 49 of Sitcom Geeks. I'm Dave Cohen. And I'm James Carey. And we are here today, we're very pleased to say we are sitting in the front room of a, a, a comedy writer who I'm a big fan of, who's uh, written a brilliant uh, sitcom series, which went on Channel 4 uh, and then to Netflix and uh, was initially called Scrotal Recall and then became uh, Lovesick and uh, it's a great show and series three is being written not as we speak because he's with us here now. <laughs> he stopped. Yes. Well, they're hoping that we're going to leave. Unless he's got some <laughs> lackeys or servants uh, writing it there for him but here is Tom Edge. Hello. Very right pleased on. to be in my own home. But <laughs> yes, that's right. It's the best of, best of all worlds. Yes, thank you very much for, for uh, letting us intrude uh, on your life, in your life. Um, so, yes, if you would like to just um, maybe uh, start with, let's, let's talk about uh, Lovesick and about uh, Scrotal Recall, as it was called originally, and tell us what it's about first. Okay, well, I mean, the idea... Uh, came up in a slightly unusual fashion. I, I was doing a genetics project for Channel 4, um, mm-hmm. and I, I was sent off to do a week's residency at the Sanger Centre, which is just outside Cambridge, funded by the Wellcome Trust, mm. um, where they decoded a third of the human genome. Oh, so wow. I was sort of <laughs> sent with my kind of tattered science GCSE in my back pocket <laughs> to try and uh, sort of upscale somewhat. Uh, so then a, lot of, a lot of listening yeah. and nodding happened yeah. that week. <laughs> yeah. A lot of writing. Yeah. Uh, I love so that. This great place where, you know, the kind of the, 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 the world has been changed by this place and you were there thinking, hmm, how can I get a sitcom out? Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was, I was sort of meeting one of their, their researchers and his kind of his hobby was um, tracing human migration across hundreds of thousands of years by looking at small mutations in DNA. And so he would, it was, it would be able to say that uh, a tribe of Native Americans living in Colorado had their ancestral roots yeah. in modern-day Pakistan. Yeah, um, that's and, become and quite a thing now, hasn't it? That's mm. kind of I've, I've read a fair bit about that subsequently. Yeah, and I think mm. it's fairly challenging when you tell a tribe whose birth myth is that they were born from the Grand Canyon, but actually <laughs> they're from India, and you can prove it. There's uh, nothing without controversy. <laughs> that doesn't play well. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, it's, uh, it's not what everyone needs to hear on a Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. Um, but in I any want, case, I want pictures, <laughs> or it's not true. <laughs> yeah. But yes, I I thought that was a really fascinating idea, and then I uh, I sort of thought, what what is the kind of microcosm version of that of sort of tracing uh, a life or a history uh, through the spread of a disease or something like that? And uh, chlamydia immediately appealed. Um, <laughs> it's uh, the the funniest of the STIs. I as, think it probably is. Yeah. Um, and uh, but it, that sort of sat in my back pocket for a while because uh, while it seemed like a you were just carrying chlamydia at that point, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. just the carrier, yeah, um, which is, is what I would tell everyone cheerily <laughs> as soon as I met them. Um, but at that point, it, it didn't feel too much more than a device, or a, yeah. uh, so it kind of sat as one of like hundreds of little kind of fragments um, uh, on the hard drive. And then a few years later, I was talking to. The guys at Clark and Well Films, who made sort of Misfits um, and Not Safe for Work and various other uh, shows that, uh, that I've really enjoyed, and we were talking about how a lot of the romantic comedies that we really liked were less about um, a couple finds love and live happily ever after than this kind of rueful look back. Um, uh, things like High Fidelity, mm. um, you know Annie Hall, which begins with you know Annie and I broke up. Mm. Um, and uh, around that time, there were some, some more playful, uh, you know, structurally playful things like 
500 Days of Summer, again, uh, you know, someone trying to analyse uh, from this kind of pattern of failure um, what they might learn. And I think that really appealed to all of us. We were all big fans of stuff like When Harry Met Sally and, uh, and the golden age of, um, of romantic comedy as well. Um, and uh, th- those two pieces felt like they could really fit nicely together that... Uh, that if causally, uh, you know, he was prompted mm. to have to look back uh, and have to list his past lovers, then this would then give us uh, a kind of prism w- through which we could view sort of seven or eight years of his life. Um, and uh, so that then sort of that organically felt like that that fit together quite nicely. And uh, and to sort of catch him at a moment of real crisis when he's trying to. Uh, to think, well, you know, my my best friend, who I, mm. you know, now realise I'm in love with, is getting married to someone else. Um, how did it come to this? And the show then uses that as a kind of framing device. Mm. Um, and as you know, then it's a great it device. Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of device-heavy shows, the, the, it can sort of wear out quite quickly, but it seems to it just keeps on giving, doesn't it? Yeah, I think you know, I think, I mean, when when the show was first announced, uh, a lot of people drew immediate comparisons to things like My Name is Earl. I was just going to say that. Which is that kind of... In reverse, almost. Yeah, and it's that big sort of premise-heavy thing. But I Mm. think that the key difference for us was that was, you know, two things. One is that, you know, whereas My Name is Earl, uh, you kind of knew the the kind of format you were going to be given Mm. each week. Uh, It was sort of generated out of the the to-do list. list. Exactly. Um, I think what we felt this show would allow us to do is to... Uh, you know, tell a single story in a non-linear fashion, um, and so uh, you could arrive at uh, at events that you've seen before mm. and see them in a new light, um, mm. which felt creatively uh, very satisfying. Um, and it also felt like we could track the emotional development of this cast of characters mm. and unpack that over time um, uh, in a way that might have been harder to do if uh, if we were just saying, you know, we begin today and we march off into yeah. the future, and we. We really wanted uh, to be able to look at those kind of bigger ideas of of memory and loss. Um, I I mean, I think it's a really common experience to be floored by rejection or the end of a relationship. But if you felt the way you feel the morning after, every day for the next 10 years, life would be unbearable. And memory does this kind of very kind, you know, humanitarian thing of gradually kind of taking the edges of those memories until... Seven years later, the mention of this ex-girlfriend who once had you in tears on the floor, you know, is is genuinely greeted with a kind of a shrug or yeah. a kind of slight puzzlement. And we wanted to be able to toggle between a guy who has all of those questions and is looking back um, and is no longer emotionally tethered necessarily yeah. to yeah. the people there, but then navigate to those to those moments and mm-hmm. kind of understand what he's made of yeah. you know, through kind of sharing them and yeah, making sure that well, the show's always going forward rather than continually looking yeah. back yeah and that was that was why we always have that kind of present day frame mm-hmm. uh, that kind of mm-hmm. frames the flashback because if, if, if there was nothing but flashback mm-hmm. then all you're ever getting is kind of layered in context um, which only I think goes so far and whereas if you have a, a present day story surrounding that you can be shedding light on the present, but there is forward movement at the same time, and you, you do still have recourse to those kind of classical dramatic questions mm. of what happens next, yeah. Um, which is yeah, it's hard. Um, the, the the pushing it forward thing is quite because occasionally when I talk to Richard Hurst, my writing partner, we occasionally 
sort of have an idea in fact quite often I have an idea and then Richard says well it won't work um, which is great it saves an awful lot of time um, but quite often I have an idea and he just says the whole that whole idea is looking backwards there's no forward momentum to that and you've got to have both haven't you you sort of want something to to analyse in the past but you also want something to, to yeah. send you into mm. the future it's, it, it's just um I mean, just, just my own experience of coming to the show was, was uh, when it first came out, I saw like sort of three or four of the episodes. Uh, I, don't, I didn't see the whole series, but um, and I, I, I liked what I saw. And I, it didn't, uh, it, it, at that point, I wasn't as kind of caught up in the sort of the flashback aspect of it. It just felt, it felt like a perfectly self-contained episode of a sitcom. And, uh, and then I watched it again and there was another sort of episode. But, and then when, uh, when the second series came out on Netflix and so um, we, my wife and I started watching, we thought, well, let's start again, even though I knew I'd seen some of it. And it, and it was just like watching a completely different sitcom to me because it, it, it the, 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 the back story side of it the flashbacks were were quite complex really and actually I mean James and I often talk about with sitcom you know no backstory so it's I'm still kind of trying to work out how how did he do it how did you <laughs> how do you make something that is on the one hand feels like a nicely self-contained episode of a sitcom that anyone can come into that episode and say it whilst at the same time have this sort of ongoing story I suppose partly the setting it in the present helps with that but what 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 sort of logistical problems have you have putting it together yeah it is i mean I, I think that stuff can be tricky and we are really careful uh to uh to try and do ex- exactly as you've described to make sure that you can come to an episode without having a, a cheat sheet next to you um mm. to orient you in time as much as anything else uh, and we hope that the enjoyment of the show isn't contingent on readily being able to say oh yeah five years ago that was before this and after that which mm. would be a very big ask um but i think for those especially those viewing it on netflix where in our experience people are often blitzing through uh, the the full you know season in one or two evenings um then i think people are are better able to kind of put those puzzle pieces together um and you know certainly when we moved from channel four to netflix whereas Channel 4 had a little kind of previously on recap, um, which we felt was necessary to locate people and, you know, and to quietly say these are the pieces of the story that you need yeah. uh, to be thinking about in order to I've been particularly noticing that with watching Elementary, where they sort of have a previously, and you just think, wow, previously, that didn't say, oh, that's going to be, oh, right. Exactly, exactly <laughs> that. Yeah. Whereas Netflix said, actually, can you lock those off? Because they're they're kind of redundant because people are watching this in an evening and and you know don't don't require yeah. that kind of uh, that thing that, that took that, you that a year yeah. they will <laughs> knock off in one evening um, and then watch Newsnight and go to bed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so and we are we are always very mindful about um, about making sure that sort of every episode uh, yeah. stands alone in its in its core and uh, that the story there uh, has a sense of completion, but that it fits. The wider narrative, um, right. and you know, one of the one of the challenges of, of the show in in sort of uh, in getting there is that we are we're not a show like Friends, which says you know here are the bunch of people who you like, let's go skiing with them, or maybe one of them gets a job. What we have always been quite careful to do is remain very faithful to the 
shows core themes and core preoccupations mm. of love, friendship, relationships, and kind of navigating uh, navigating all that stuff. So as we kind of approach our twenty second episode, which will be the finale of of season three, um, mm. uh, then you know it feels it feels like that kind of adherence is uh, becomes quite challenging um, mm. because uh, yeah there are, there are only so many permutations on those kind mm. of uh, on those kind of stories before you, you risk kind of repeating yourself. So, right, okay. Um, so Does that mean you think this is the final series? Or? I, 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 don't, I don't think necessarily that it is, but I think after this season we will be, through necessity, looking to kind of refresh how, how we make the show. Mm, um, right. Because I, th- I mean, I think there's a kind of promise to the audience that we're saying that there's roughly a kind of seven-year frame. Mm, um, right. And... What we don't want to do is is have kind of you know characters becoming amnesiac and yeah. kind of learning uh, learning one thing about themselves and the way they conduct relationships yeah. one week mm. uh, to shed it the next yeah. and, and to have to relearn. Yeah. The, the I same think you can do that because I think well, it's when people ask us a lot about story arcs and whether mm. we're a fan of them or not, and I think in general I'm not because you want them to be self-contained episodes. But but the same token, if you Every, every series of Friends, which is admittedly 22 rather than 6, but that has a sort of a gentle arc. But equally, over the course of the whole run, mm. Chandler in Series 8 is not Chandler from Series 1. Mm. That is not the same person. Yeah. It can't be. Mm. Yeah. And I think sometimes if you try to be too much of a purist about sitcom, you just think, no, it has to be... They never learn, they never learn, they never learn. Well, they kind of do yeah. learn. And they kind yeah. of grow up. And we see them grow up. Mm. We see them get older. Yeah. And so we don't and we don't want to see yeah. people in their late thirties acting like people in their mid twenties. It's mm. it's, it's well, rather pathetic. Yeah. Uh, at the same yeah. time, sorry to interrupt but that that's I mean, Luke, who for me is you know the most interesting character in in the show, who is uh when you're first watching it, who's basically this sort of uh comedy lad, basically, and you know, he's he's always the one who's uh Getting off with the women, he's always the one who's saying the inappropriate comment. He, he you know, he, he, he's the out there funny person. Um, and then uh, he, this situation happens, and then I think it's the last was the last episode of series one where a relationship that didn't happen, the one relationship that didn't happen that should have done it, affects him deeply. And then in series two, he's he's sort of in. Uh, he's seeing a therapist and uh, can't quite let can't quite let go of the lad, but is a is he's become self aware, but it is, it's it's nice because because we have the flashbacks and mm. we still we mm. still get free hits of him yes. as the sort of cake the, and the, eat exactly exactly yeah I think were you aware of that kind of thing yeah very very that? aware and it's you know again it's a difficult balance because we want the show's characters to evolve over time not feel like we're regressing them but at the same time um it, it is fun to to go back mm. to kind of prelapsarian mm. and, yeah. and so on mm. um but i mean we were also conscious um that hopefully if people uh, enjoyed the show they could go back to the show and that as those characters are reframed by what you uncover about them then subsequent rewatching mm. sort of affect that stuff so hopefully when you go back to you know say our pilot episode um where luke is absolutely as you described the guy whose basic advice is you know don't feel anything lock your feelings away yeah. get back on the horse this mm. you know enjoy enjoy the wedding um mm. 
that once you understand the context for that and where he's been historically and where he's headed, mm. you kind of revise your view of him and you see that as kind of a set of armour mm. uh, worn and uh, and mm. that gets kind of mm. slightly threadbare at points. Um, right. So, yeah, uh, we, we certainly had a, mm. a kind of um, a vision from the off about where these characters start mm. and where they finish. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the real challenge, I think, is for our actors, and thankfully, they're incredible. Um, and we mm. cast for, you know, for dramatic ability as much as anything, knowing that we would require a lot of them, really, that none of them were ever going to be playing, uh, you know, one or two defining character mm. uh, tropes. We wanted them to have real flexibility. And, um, uh, but, yeah, we, we now put together, essentially, a kind mm. of uh, a timeline for them, Mm. So that they can orient themselves yeah. within scenes that okay we're we're playing here in the context of this thing and that hasn't yet happened um, yeah. and uh, you know I think without that they would they would find it difficult to kind yes of and I think it's interesting about that something that if you um, come up writing comedy through sketch comedy where it's pretty much all about the joke in the room. Uh, you are slightly unprepared, as I, to some extent, was on Bluestone for two, where you're working with actors who've done a lot of stuff and they've done drama as well as comedy. They need to know in any particular scene what their character knows mm. and what where they are in this sort of story, especially if you're filming out of sequence, which I'm sure you do as well. You know, yeah. we shot eight. Uh, you know, we, we started filming episode mm. one, scene four, then episode five, scene six, and episode, you know, on this before we, you know, that's our first day, and they kind of need to know. And therefore, you need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite. And the thing I was going to ask was because um, clearly you, you have more than sitcom on your CV. I wonder why you why you wanted to tell this story as sitcom because you because it, it sounds like you've really embraced what sitcoms do rather than because this could easily be a drama, it could be an hour long thing, or it could have been a movie or something. It could have been a number of things. What is it about sitcom that made you want? to write sitcoms, because it's a thankless task as a rule, it's brutal, but also why this story is a sitcom, I don't know, What yeah. what is it? Is, is this part of something growing up, you loved certain sitcoms and thought, I want to do that, or? I, I mean, I, I think you're right about sitcom as well, by yeah. the way, and I think it's, uh, so I, I, yeah, I mean, I've, I've written more drama than half hour stuff in the last few years, I've just finished adapting two of J.K. Rowling's uh, sort of corner and strike books, um, uh, and that's very much kind of bodies and mysteries. Um, and then I'm moving on to, to do a kind of Caravaggio miniseries. Um, so, uh, so it's, <laughs> well, it's, um, so it's, yes, it's, I don't think anyone said the word Caravaggio on this podcast before. So, uh, <laughs> somewhere out so there, you win the bingo card. Yes, exactly. Um, anyway, whoever had that, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I, my, yeah, I, my view is that sort of the, the kind of comedies that I really enjoy, um, have to do everything that good, dramas do but they have to be funny as well and it's it's kind of like that ginger roger quote uh, yeah dancing with fred astaire yeah to do everything he does but backwards and in high heels and (laughs) i i think that's very true of of uh of really great comedy um i think i mean certainly for this show it felt like um because uh we wanted the ability to kind of um range back and forth in time it felt like it suited um it felt like it suited that kind of half hour structure that we were after building seasons that would work as an emotional whole and um and you know a full a full hour would have felt i think quite difficult to sustain the 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 sheer length of the 
the flashback, um, you know, it's sort of uh, bookended in the middle. I think, uh, you know, you might... It, it would have been hard to kind of tread the line of of diving into the past enough to kind of... to watch that moment of epiphany and, you know, to enjoy, like, a singular scene before you jump back out. And mm. vir- virtually all of our episodes are, are, you know, often on a single day or, you know, uh, or in a single place. Um, and that, that kind of works well. I think it would be, mm. be challenging to extend that to an hour. Um, I think there's something about the... I think it's interesting, isn't it? It's the single day, the single place... Because for me, sitcom has its roots in theatre hmm. more than anything else. And therefore, if something all happens in one day or happens continuously or it happens um, in one location or something, it feels like a play, yeah. uh, which is great. And that kind of pushes it towards sitcom. Whereas I think some, I think I wonder if lots of people trying to write sitcoms now are sort of trying to write a movie or an hour-long drama but trying to tell the story in 28 minutes or 24 minutes, I think that's much hmm. harder. It feels like the idea itself needs to lend itself to that simplicity. I, th- I think so. And, you know, we we <clears throat> tried several different forms for the show as well. Um, and we tried versions. Uh, this was kind of before we finally delivered the, the kind of pilot script to, uh, to Channel 4. We tried versions that were that jumped around in time and place, that used voiceover or that revisited the present more frequently during the run of this. And in the end, I think we probably drew the same conclusions that you're drawing now, which is that a certain kind of simplicity of form in a show that is already quite complicated to piece together um, because you're essentially drawing a single emotional map, but in in fragments and requiring the viewer to do some work that are kind of a simple kind of top and tail that moves the present forward in small increments uh, while telling a complete story in the past that, uh, that you know, that is, uh, is in conversation with the present. Uh, just kind of finding that kind of rule set for the show um, was, was necessary. And it's hard, sorry, it's a, and Dave's got much better questions than me, but I'm just, the, the, but it's interesting that you're writing sort of murder mystery as well um, as, as this, and, because comedy is very much... People won't laugh or get the joke unless they're clear about what the rules are and what's actually happening. So mystery is not really your friend, although you are revealing certain mm. things. You, you want to give the audience the impression that they know exactly what's going on, and then you can pull the rug on them. But with writing mysteries, you're sort of happy with the idea that the audience don't actually know what's going on. So you must have a fairly serious sort of gear shift to go from drop or are you finding there's much more overlap than than you thought it's interesting to me that david renwick was able to write mm. one foot in the grave and jonathan creek mm. which on one thing you think well of course it's all stage management but at the same time you think but it's a completely different yeah or Stephen moffat as well yes. you know going from those kind of intricate doctor who episodes yeah. but having you know come out of coupling yeah. which was uh you know you know which was often very clever yeah. and very funny and uh so yeah i mean I, I think they probably are, you know, uh, they do require sort of uh, gear shifts, but I enjoy that. I find mm. that really rejuvenating. I think if I worked in the in the same forms, knowing the way I work, I'd just get kind of lazy. Um, so I, I quite like the challenge of having to kind of uh, adapt. Mm. Um, but I think also maybe the other influential thing is that really the the first things I did were, uh, were film scripts. Um, and, you know, film is, as I'm sure you know, maddeningly difficult to, to get off the ground. Uh, but, like, the first time uh, that a company bought work of mine was Big Talk, buying a, a sort of comedy spec that, that I wrote. 
And I then developed them uh, that with them uh, for, for quite a while. I think technically it's still in development. I'm not sure <laughs> we should omit this from the yeah. podcast. <laughs> Rachel uh, drops me an email and tells me about seven years late on the, on the latest one. But I think the really useful thing there was that in film, um, they are incredibly uh, focused on uh, a character's sort of transformation. Mm. Um, and unlike sort of sitcom, perhaps mm. where arguably... You, uh, you know, you run your sitcom into the ground if you have everyone radically and permanently changed by uh, an hour and mm. 30 in. Um, but in film, they, they kind of really like to try track the emotional journeys of characters and make sure that each scene, everyone understands what is emotionally at stake. Um, and even if you're writing quite a kind of funny, highly pitched set piece, then it's still sort of always, you know, grounded in more what does it mean to this character and uh, how do we feel about where they're at? And I think the experience of developing that first screenplay really kind of grounded me into, uh, into kind of tracking characters emotionally and making sure that I just kept my eye on those dramatic fundamentals. Uh, the same ones that, you know, everyone from the Greeks to, <laughs> to Mammoth and Sorkin constantly kind of clap on about. And for, you know, for good reason, those fundamentals of, goal, stakes, urgency, um, why does someone want something? What does it mean to them? Um, and coming back to that in every scene and every moment. And I think that is contiguous across sort of comedy and, mm. and drama because, you know, even if the dialogue is, is kind of crackling and the jokes are great, I think, uh, you know, a, a scene begins to drag in, in a comedy if mm. you don't really believe that a character has a, a set of intentions mm. in the scene and or that the motivation that it supposedly governs it is as flimsy as anything. Mm. I think you can get away with it in certain kinds of show that has a gleeful disregard yeah. for those things. Although they, but, they frequently often you know, feel like yeah. less than the sum total of the parts, don't they? Mm. When they don't have that element that you're talking about where everybody knows what's at stake in every scene. Yeah. Although when the good shows do it well, like Father Ted... Mm. Um, that in one sense looks like a bunch of set pieces and a bunch of jokes, but actually you fully go with Father Ted's desire to get off the island. You know, mm, every yeah. scene really is about yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's very easy to overlook that, um, even though it's often realised in a, yeah. a ludicrous way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm quite interested. Uh, we've already talked uh, at length about how, how you, you know, you... you Generally, you write drama more than, than comedy, and you've you've come from you know that sort of different discipline, and also the idea of having mystery and backstory, which, which as we say, we generally don't don't have. Another thing we often say is don't have a bunch of twenty something people sitting in a pub talking the whole time. Um, and you, there there is you know quite a lot of that in in your show. We don't know what they do much about their work or anything. They're mainly they're mainly meeting socially, and so you're kind of breaking all those rules if they are rules as such I'm, I'm just sort of interested to know how how you sold that idea initially to channel four what 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 yeah how did, how did you get it to them well i mean i think i think the the kind of uh the hook that we you know have talked about the the kind of navigating your your past in flashback uh generated by a sort of a need to track right. down your former lovers is helpful there and i actually you know, when I think about that, it puts me in mind of shows like Happy Endings, where, again, um, you know, that show seems to offer a very kind of high, high-pitched premise, a group of friends, you know, and, and the marriage collapses on day one when the bride runs out. 
how can they stay friends together? So it had the feel of a kind of higher concept mm. piece. There's this kind of big, heavy premise for the pilot. But actually, very quickly, that show revealed that what it really wanted to do was be a kind of goofy, single-camera kind of friends um, and tell uh, tell a kind of variety of character right. stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, you know, I was fine by that, but with that. And, and I really liked that show a lot as well. But I, I wondered partly whether the... The, the kind of high concept premise was designed so that you know everyone could justify uh, putting another show <laughs> on air that was uh, about right. that kind of stuff. I think I mean I think ultimately um, y- yes our characters do sit around and talk, but I think they they sort of talk with urgency and they mm. talk with urgency yeah. about the yeah. the things in their life pertaining to the show's big yeah. themes that feel uh, that, that are the things that are sort of keeping them up at night. Um, and uh, so, I, you know, I, I, no, no one ever said, is this, uh, are you smuggling in a kind of flat share comedy <laughs> under the, the radar? Um, but, you know... Because that's the show we all want to do, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. We all want to do the flat share sitcom. <laughs> and the, the flat share sitcom is inordinately popular. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, I mean, yeah, and I do... Well, poop share is isn't it? That's yeah. You know, you could just say, oh, it's two blokes are sharing a flat who no longer got anything in common. Absolutely. And you sort of think, oh, um, you know, not that again, but then you watch it and it's, yeah, you know, it's just totally original. And I, I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, there's a lot of uh, dramatic irony, isn't there, really? You have a lot of, you know, it's mind me comparing you to Shakespeare in this but uh, <laughs> happens a lot. Shall, shall I compare I thee to William Shakespeare yeah, you know, yeah I think given that uh, Shakespeare's initial working title for Romeo and yeah, Juliet was <laughs> the boner in Verona then, uh, from the writer of Scrital Recall yeah. where, where yeah. essentially uh, yeah. we're, we're bosom yeah. buddies he, <laughs> what marks him out is the wisdom to rethink his working title but that's all that there really yeah. is between us actually I must <laughs> ask you I, I, you know I watched a couple of episodes uh, even even though I was thinking, well, I'm not going to watch this because it's called Scrotal Recall. <laughs> it's on 10 o'clock on Channel 4. It's just going to be uh, something that I know that I will hate. Um, and then I watched it. Uh, oh, I quite like this. Uh, have you watched Scrotal Recall? I'm not going to watch that. Scrotal Recall, that's obviously Channel 4 <laughs> wank fest of some mm. description. And then, you know, uh, so I guess, you know, what possessed you, dare I ask? Yeah, well, it's the challenges of a working title that uh, I think initially we wrote, not this, obviously. Uh, but then you grow fond of it. It's yeah, like the errant yeah. child who's been yours long enough yeah. that you're no longer trying to have them sent to Borstal. Yeah. Um, so that by the time, yeah, by the time we were you know, finally on air, uh, I think we had perhaps lost sight of the fact of, of quite how kind of sweatily inappropriate uh, the show title is. Well, it is actually a brilliant title, uh, but, for a, but for a slightly different show. For I a slightly yeah. different show. Yeah, yeah. And Lovesick is one. a really brilliant title. I, yeah. Well, I mean, Netflix, to their credit, would have let us sail on under the, the Scrotal banner, had we asked. But we actually said to them, look, you know, I think that if there's an opportunity to change the title, I think... Um, it would be, it, it, you know, we, we, we had the feeling uh, and the feedback from a lot of people that uh, there, was, there were people who would like the show who were being, you know, profoundly kind of put off um, mm-hmm. by, by this kind of frontage, you know, not similar to your experience, <laughs> though. Uh, and we asked, and Netflix said, okay, look, why don't we ask some questions because they're a data-driven company. So they uh, asked about 5,000 viewers, um, all of whom... Had you know rated the show highly and you know watched it all, um, 
the number of questions. <laughs> I think they found that fully 60% of people who'd given it five out of five and said that they loved it wouldn't mention it to friends and family because it would involve using the word scruple out loud. And then we thought, arguably, okay, this is something yeah. of a word of mouth problem. Yes. If, um, if you're sort of having, if you can't quite bear to mention to yeah. anyone. Uh, so, you know, it, it seemed it seemed like the, the kind of practical thing to do. Um, and and I'm, I'm glad we did, yeah. even though I think, you know, 5% of our audience, you know, uh, it will always be sort of scruple for them. Yeah, and that's know, all right. Of, that's uh, fine. That's okay. What's, um, I mean, I'm interested also as well to know then the um, the journey that took you from Channel 4 to Netflix. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, some probably some aspects of that journey is still shrouded in darkness <laughs> and that as a kind of writer on the sidelines, you're kind of watching through binoculars going, is, the, is that a ship? Uh, does that bring news? Um, I mean, it was complicated. We we felt very well supported by uh, Phil Clark and um, Neris and Fiona at Channel 4. They're, you know, really talented uh, commissioners with, you know, great taste and... Well, they bought um, your show, so of course they... Well, quite. Others would disagree. And I think they, they've, made, they've made a lot of really great work yeah, as no, well. Yeah, no, sure, yeah, yeah. In recent years. Um, they were very supportive of the show and of it having a second season. Uh, but I think our ratings were unspectacular. They weren't terrible, but they weren't um, they weren't high enough to make it, uh, you know, a no-brainer for anyone. And I think we, you know, just sat on that bubble of, well, we can't recommission everything. And uh, and in the end, you know, the decision from on high, sort of, you know, beyond the comedy department, mm. was that we wouldn't go, uh, go forward, which was very difficult. But, I mean, Netflix, by then had bought season one for North America and uh, a few other places and it had done well for them and they really liked it and they'd already come back while Channel 4 were making up their minds and said that they wanted to invest in the show and you know in the in the budget and so on and when Channel 4 eventually said that they weren't going to take it forward Netflix said uh, we're Netflix um, and and uh, yeah we'll take it on on our own um, which has been great and uh they are yeah, sincerely great to work with. I think they're, as, a, as an entity, they're at a really interesting point in their existence because they are doing really well. Um, so they don't have, you know, it's not like, say, for instance, NBC, who are you know, struggling as a network and um, people asking, searching questions of them. And that's always going to create a more anxious environment mm. in which to make decisions, especially kind of bold ones. But Netflix is, is very much kind of on the up. Mm. They're they are building a really great reputation for empowering show creators. Um, they want strongly authored stuff and they have the wherewithal to make those decisions on their own. So uh, it's been a really happy home. I was going to say, that was going to be my next question was how, how do you, uh, what, what's their involvement in, in the show? Well, they, I mean, they are the sort of sole financier yeah. and, uh, and we go out Simultaneously, I think in 133 territories. I think we we mm-hmm. uh, we dub for France and everyone else is subtitled. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we have a quite kind of complicated name in some territories. <laughs> like we're sort of, uh, uh, I, I think a word that I still can't neither can pronounce or remember that has to do with uh, the vestiges of disease uh, in South Korea. Great. Uh, <laughs> uh, so so uh, and. Uh, in in terms of you know creative input, they they have you know executives who sit on the show and 
who came to our read and, and give us notes. Um, but they are very supportive. Mm-hmm. And I think because we moved to Netflix in our second season mm. and our second season of the show that they really liked, um, it perhaps didn't come fated with the anxiety of, you know, of making a big financial bet on a completely new and untested show when there are many more questions circulating about, well, what is this? And is, is this the right shape? And fundamentally, they said, like, well, we like this show and we'd like you to make more. And we right. said we were very happy yeah. to do that. So, right, that's really good. Yeah. Cool. Well, we, our time is nearly up. Yes. Um, really so um, maybe... Uh, uh, we've got time for one more question, Dave. Uh, yes, uh, just finding, uh, just looking through my. Um, so slick. Yes. Is there anything? Call uh, it, he's called Michael Parkinson. Yes. His middle name is. <laughs> <laughs> Can you? Uh, are you able to reveal to us at this uh, stage? Is there any anything that you can? Any exclusives that you can tell us about series three? What can we? What can we look forward to that you, without giving away too much? Ooh, that's tricky. Um, well, it's it'll be eight episodes, um, mm-hmm. and uh, prob- probably out in November. We're shooting at the moment, actually, the mm-hmm. the, the cast uh, up in, in Glasgow, um, and uh, everyone has come back. Um, and uh, of course, they so are. It's a Netflix show. That's cool. So that's uh, that's all good. Um, For some reason, I play a BBC Online only. That's not cool, but Netflix is. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any sense, <laughs> does it? So I, I think uh, I think what I can say about the third season is that we uh, we really do push their stories onward uh, for all of the characters. So. Um, so yeah, none of them is left in, in stasis or sort of spinning the wheels right. by the time these eight episodes are up. Um, Without giving anything away, do we lose anyone at all at the end? So you don't have to say yes or no. Uh, uh, there, or, there, are sort of, there are no no gunfights, no no, uh, no ambulance yeah. sirens. Um, no, okay, but I you that's know, the I, downside of not having <laughs> IEDs, which I had in my show. Obviously, you can just blow people up. It's great. <laughs> Your contract is up. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and the, right. earth, done. the earth and special effects are being right. pre-prepared. Yes, it's right. Uh, and you made some, and he didn't like the jokes, so we're blowing <laughs> you up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, that's probably rather cryptic, but um, uh, or simply evasive. But um, uh, but it's uh, it's not long to wait. Right. Okay. Well, we shall look forward to it. Thank you very much, Tom. It's been a pleasure. And uh, Tom is going to come back mysteriously on a future podcast, maybe in two weeks or four weeks. Four weeks. Um, we might just sit here for for weeks <laughs> and talk about uh, a few other bits on a future podcast. Um, but until then, on, what do uh, people need to do? They need to look on our Facebook page. Oh yes, uh, Sitcom Geeks. Yes, and uh, get involved in the dialogue there. We sort of try to make it a bit more interactive now because basically if we don't, Facebook will effectively shove it all the way down the algorithms and it won't exist. It'd be branded as fake news. Yes, uh, exactly. Yes. Lack of yes. And we certainly must not appear to be fake news. Um, so do that. Follow us on Twitter. Oh, Tom, are you on Twitter? Uh, not no. on Twitter. No. Well, well congratulations. Lucky you. Lucky you. Um, and uh, so yes, uh, and people can email us at sitcomgeeks at gmail.com So, do that, get in touch, and uh, we will be back soon. Bye. Brilliant. Thank you.